0: Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, The last couple of, I guess, two or three weeks, the Lord's been dealing with me on just thinking about Him. And it's kind of just uh, come up in like a two-word, consider God. Um, You know, we're so busy in our day, and we consider so many things um, during the day. But to consider God, consider Him who He is, what He's done for us. Isaiah says this about our Lord, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. (laughs) The older ones are saying amen because we get tired. And we grow weary, but our God does not. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youth should grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord... Now, those who wait for the Lord... (laughs) That's not easy for us to do, right? Sometimes in circumstances. Waiting on the Lord. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. And they will walk and not become weary. That is the God that we serve. That is the God who is in control of all things. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we just want to thank you for who you are. Lord, we would admit that living in a busy culture, just to consider you every day is a challenge for us, all of us, because we are easily distracted by circumstances, even by family, by friends so many areas of distraction, Lord, I pray you would help us by your Spirit to consider you often during the day, often during our week, so that when we come to this place and we have opportunity to worship you, it's not been foreign for us in the week, but we've already worshiped you many, many times. And so um, I pray this morning that we're ready for worship, that we're prepared, that um, as later in the service we remember the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be willing to consider and examine our lives, not horizontally comparing it to other people, but allowing you. To examine us. And Lord, I pray we would be honest. We would be honest in our evaluation. Because I know for a fact, Lord, I, I'm like Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. <laughs> and um, and yet, like Isaiah said, um he lived among a people of unclean lips, but he first said he was a man of unclean lips. And so, Lord, we all fell. Um, But we are so thankful, can we say this morning, for forgiveness. We thank you for your forgiveness, that it is complete. As Scripture says, you remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. You cast them into the depths of the sea to remember them no more. We can't fathom that. You are God and God alone. And I pray as we worship you this morning, that we're doing so because you are our Lord. And all this I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Good
1: morning, everyone. Um, Tell the Lord thank you is kind of the theme of our worship and music this morning. We want to start out with a a short one-minute video, and then we're going to sing some songs that talk about praising the Lord, worshiping um, in good times or in bad, so y'all watch this
0: video. My mom was buried under the debris. As soon as they brought her out of the debris, her first response was, tell the Lord, thank you. And someone said, the trailer is gone. She said, the house is gone too. Tell the Lord, thank you. We lost seven family members, 15 people on this street. Every time the enemy tries to bring something into my mind that's negative, I keep thinking, tell the Lord, thank you.
2: And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep telling God, thank you, because I trust Him. And I'm going to keep telling God, thank you. Thank you for the storm. Thank you for the recovery. Thank you for the joy of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, God. I will not forget what He has done for me. I could not forget. We will rebuild. We will recover. But in all of these things, we will thank God. We will thank God.
1: still be with us right he's gonna usher us into his presence so it doesn't end right and I know so many times for me I think I said this last week don't we live like it's gonna end <laughs> we often live like this life's gonna end when this life ends and it's just an entrance into eternity Amen. and that's I love about this song just talking about trusting in Jesus to Jesus and what he's done on the cross for us. The reason that we can give thanks, the reason we can praise him and worship him, is because of the cross. It's because we have the Holy Spirit in us, giving us the strength uh, to have hope for the future, giving us the strength to say thank you. um, And because we have that hope uh, that the world doesn't have. And so as we sing this last song, let's keep that in mind as we just say thank you to Jesus.
0: Thank you guys for that this morning. As uh, we were singing that last song, I was reminded of some scripture. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read it. Um, But I think it's important to remember, once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Uh, I think as you get older in the faith, you come to recognize we were really enemies of the Lord it's only because of his grace that we're not. Romans, at the end of Romans chapter 4. When you think about an enemy and then I think of opposite, I think peace. And Paul wrote, he was delivered up because of our transgressions. By the way, he's just telling them all, hey look, we're all sinners. (laughs) We all sin, we all fall short. That was his conclusion at the end of chapter 3. But then he says, therefore. I love therefores in the Bible. I've come to really love them because sometimes at the end of a sentence, you're like, whoa, that doesn't sound real good. But chapter five, verse one, therefore having been justified by faith alone. He doesn't add anything else to it. He doesn't say anything else. I mean, if you're looking, there's nothing else there. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That'll preach. Isn't it nice to have peace with God? if you're in Christ today, you have peace with God. And it's only because of faith. And it's only by grace. I'm thankful. Thank you, B, for singing those last two songs. Not that I didn't enjoy the first two. I did, but boy, those last two. Powerful. Well, we left Jonah... In the bottom of a boat, so we need to go check out and see what he's going to do. Go back to Jonah in the first chapter. I told my Auburn friends today, because they're playing for a championship at noon, I'd be done by two o'clock. <laughs> We're going to deal with idols later in the sermon anyway, so let's ask the Lord to help us today. So Lord, we, um, we admit we need help. And for me, I know as you've been dealing with me just in this book, I wanted to see you from beginning to end. You're all over the page. You're all over this book. You are God and there is no one like you. You're in control. When things look like they're out of control, um, you remind us that you're in control. Lord, help us to be taught this morning by your Spirit. He's our teacher. You've given us a book so that we would understand better how you want us to live. As Paul told the Corinthians... um, You've given us the Old Testament as an example. There's a lot here to consider. A lot of examples. Some are good. Some are not as good. I know for me, Lord, at times in my life as a Christian, I've pointed fingers. I've looked at these guys in Scripture and thought, why didn't you just obey? It's been a whole lot easier on you. But, Lord, I know that that's true for my life. How many times could I easily have said, I just need to obey? So I pray you would help us to consider the importance of obedience this morning as we look further into the life of Jonah, in Jesus' name, amen. So I think it is important that we consider this morning the issue of obedience and and Jonah, remember this guy, this prophet, he's not just another dude, he's God's prophet and God had told him, hey look, I want you to go to Nineveh and cry out against their wickedness and he's like, no thank you. Remember, um, the place that he was to go, um, their enemy was there. <laughs> he wasn't sending them to a bunch of friends. He was sending them to enemies. And Jonah's like, no, thank you. And so he's got another plan. It's interesting to me that Jonah even left his home. I would never thought about that until the last couple of weeks. But I thought, why, why did he even leave? You know, why did he go down to Joppa? Why did he pay to go to, Tar- to Tarsh? Why did he do that? He could have just stayed home and said no. Right? But he doesn't. He's running away from the will of the Lord in his life. And as we know, when we're running sometimes from the will of the Lord in our lives, their impact is not just on us, but it's felt on others. (laughs) Um, In your notes, I have for you as a reminder... the impact on the sailors. Remember, we looked at that last time. There's three different things we said about these sailors and the impact of of this storm. Um, Remember, these Phoenician sailors, they would have had some experience, and a storm itself would not have been a surprise to them. But this is a different kind of storm. Uh, This is God's storm, and it's intended to get Jonah's attention. And it's interesting to me that while it's intended to get Jonah's attention... It seems to get the attention of the sailors, which leads to further things, as we're going to see. The Bible tells us they were scared. They were really scared. Then that word means scared. That's what it means in the Hebrew. They're scared. They're frightened. Um, And so because of their fear, they they cry out to their gods. Hey, whoever they are, help us. Each one was crying out to their god, and no one's home. There's no answer, so we know that from the Scripture, it tells us they begin to unload cargo. They're unloading their livelihood. I mean, it's a, it's a bad situation. The boat is breaking up. It's breaking apart. In desperation, they're like, hey, we've got to get rid of all this cargo. You know, we've got to lighten the load so we can control the ship, hopefully. And we looked at the application of that, and we said disobedience to the Lord impacts those around us. Jonah's the disobedient prophet but it was impacting those men on that ship. (laughs) It's like the ripple effect, isn't it? When you take a stone and you throw it across the water and you see the ripples and it's like there are more people impacted by our sin than we may ever know. Certainly ought to get our attention. So there's impact on the sailors, we move today to the impact on Jonah. (laughs) The impact on Jonah. Well, let's look what it says. Look at verse 5, middle of the verse. But Jonah had gone down below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen sound asleep. You know what sound asleep means in the Hebrew? Sound asleep. The dude was in some good sleep, Deep sleep, the kind of sleep that as we get older, we long for that kind of sleep, right? Because as we get older, we wake up constantly. You guys have that same issue? And it's like, well, my sleep, listen to me, teenagers, sleep now. Because when you get older, you're not gonna sleep. But the Bible tells us that he was in a deep sleep. In fact, I would say he's just way too comfortable This is what I put out beside my notes. He's way too comfortable. (laughs) Because remember, he's not obeying the Lord. What's he doing? He's disobeying the Lord. And do you know sometimes in disobedience, we can get too comfortable? Do you know that? So I put here application number three, being comfortable with sin is just plain dangerous. This is dangerous. So I found this quote. And there's no accident. Lord's in control of all that. By John Owen who's a Puritan. You know you're looking at Jonah. He's supposed to be going the other direction. He says no to the Lord. And he goes to Joppa. And he buys this ticket. And he gets on this ship. And there's a storm that comes up. And it's a raging storm. And and this storms are designed to get Jonah's attention because he's being disobedient. So, I asked the question, how do we combat the flesh? How do we combat disobedience? And the Bible tells us we don't have to guess at that. Galatians 5 says, "We walk by the spirit." That's the responsibility of the believer now, the New Testament believer. We're to walk in the Spirit that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're to walk by the Spirit so we're not disobedient to the Lord. And listen to me, that's every day we need to walk by the Spirit. Look what John Owen says. He says, consider who and what you are. So I just made some notes. If I consider who I am, I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. That's who I am as a believer. I'm a new creature in Christ. The Bible says, old things have passed away, all things have become new. (laughs) So I need to consider who I am and what I am. I'm a child of God. And by the way, when you are a child of God, you have been stamped by the Holy Spirit, and no one can remove that stamp. You're His. Forever. Isn't that a good thing? (laughs) It's a good thing. I feel bad for these people who who don't believe in eternal security. They're just not reading their Bible. That's just the truth. They're not reading the New Testament. The Lord wants us to know. That's why he wrote 1 John 5. It's right there. I've written these things that you may know. Uh, Because he knows who we are and he knows how much we struggle. And he knows the battles... And he knows when we say, Man, Lord, I've done that again. You like me? That same sin over and over and over again. You're like, Man, Lord, I don't know how you could. But he does, he forgives. (laughs) So John Owen writes Consider who and what you are. Who the Spirit is that is grieved. Well, who is the Spirit? He's the third person of the Godhead. He's God. He's the one who indwells the believer. He takes up, listen to me, if you're a believer in Christ, the Spirit of God indwells you. He's taken up residence in you. He says, who the Spirit of God is that is grieved. I was thinking about grief, and young people, I don't mean this in the wrong way. I, I hope you don't take this wrong. Sometimes children bring grief to parents. Somebody's so bold as to say amen. Amen, it's true. And as a child, I don't know that you're capable of understanding that. But as you get older, and you start having kids, and you watch your kids grow up, and you're like, well, they can bring grief. They can bring sorrow. We can bring grief to the Spirit of God can I please have you turn to Ephesians 4? I prayed about this this week, that you would turn your Bibles. That you would turn in your Bibles when I say turn in your Bibles. Is that a weird prayer? Or flip your phone or whatever it is you do. Ephesians 4 Because we can grieve the Spirit. If you look at the front side, right before verse 30, he is telling these believers how they should be walking. <laughs> verse 28 says, Let him who steals, steal no longer. Rather him, but... Rather, let him labor before him with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who is need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. That word unwholesome means rotten. But only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. You know, this is one that I've, I've certainly, I'm not saying rotten words come out of my mouth, but as I'm reading through that, I'm like, Sometimes that happens. But boy, when I do speak, I need to make sure it's for edification. That really hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, Lord, when I open my mouth, I need to be building up believers. And then notice what it says, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Meaning what? We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And in context, what does grieve the Spirit? Sin, sin. Sin grieves the Spirit of God. Notice though, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, permanent seal. Then he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, these are progressive terms in the Greek. In other words, it goes from bad to worse. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander Be put away from you, along with all malice. You say, Wow, he's writing to believers? Yeah. The flesh can get ugly, guys. It can get really ugly. You know, it's ugly here in Jonah. I mean, Jonah's disobeying, he's flat out disobeying the Lord. You know, and I think I was thinking about this the last few weeks. I've had a lot of time to think about it. I'm like, I think we look at the sin that Jonah is in and we're like, man, that's a big deal. That's a big big deal, you know? He's disobeying the Lord. But look, this is a giant thing the Lord's given him to do and man, Jonah, why didn't you just obey? And we tend to categorize things. We tend to look horizontally. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. But sin grieves the Lord. Just sin. So he says, consider who and what you are, who the Spirit is that is grieved when one sins. Among those who walk with the Lord, there is no greater motive to holiness than this. I like this. That the blessed Spirit who indwells them, look at this, is continually considering what they give their hearts unto. Uh, what's heavy, isn't it? Because that means we have to consider, what are we giving our hearts unto? And he says, and rejoices when his temple is kept undefiled. You say, that's an interesting picture. It is. Turn with me since you're in the New Testament and you haven't gone back to Jonah yet. I know because I couldn't hear the pages Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I don't know if we consider our body a temple, but it is according to the Bible. Paul writes in verse 18, flee immorality, run from it. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Look at verse 19 of chapter 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? Because, verse 20, you have been, what? Bought. With a price. We know the price, the precious blood of the Lamb. You've been bought. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Well, The storm didn't seem to bother Jonah. He's a little bit too comfortable. We look at that and say, Bozo, wake up. Well, somebody's about to wake him up. Look at verse 6. He was awakened by a pagan captain. (laughs) So the captain approached him and said... In the Hebrew, Arise, O sleeper. That's what it says. Arise, O sleeper. In our translations it says, How is it that you are sleeping? Which is a very good question. Is it not? I mean, this seems to be like an incredible storm. I mean, the other dudes are not sleeping. They're very much awake and scared and crying out to their gods and no one's home. And they're unloading cargo. And Jonah's snoozing. <laughs> and the captain approaches Jonah and says, How are you sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Do you know that phrase, get up, is the same one that's used in the Hebrew in verse 2. Arise. Arise where God is telling Jonah, arise, get up. verse 6, this pagan captain says, arise, and it's a command, get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. So there's some things here that I took away from them. I'm looking at this going, first of all, a pagan captain wakes him up. Do You know, sometimes the Lord uses pagans. Do you know that? To accomplish His purposes. Pagans put the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. The Lord used a pagan man named Pharaoh in Exodus. God uses pagans to accomplish His purposes. And here, He's using this pagan captain to wake this man up. Who along with others were summoning gods of silver and gold. And remember what we read in Psalm 115, 4 through 8. Who can't see, they can't hear, they can't talk. They're not going to respond. Who commanded the Lord's prophet to pray. He's commanding, he's not asking. This is a command in the Hebrew. Get up and do it. And here's the irony the irony is that the one who knew the God of the storm seems to remain silent at this point in the account. <laughs> it doesn't seem like Jonah's going to cry out to his God at all. Who is God and God alone? So as I'm looking at this, I'm going, well, a really good application here. Application number four, the Lord's people need to be awakened from being comfortable In their sin or with sin. You know why? Because apathy can set in. Apathy can set in. We can get to the point of being numb. Like, oh, you know, and this is how that happens. I know because I've done it and I've been guilty in my life. I look at someone else's life and I go, man, I'm doing a whole lot better than them. You ever done that? You want to raise your hand or no? You ever done that? I've done that. I'm, I'm walking closer than this person. I seem to be more mature than that person. But my friends, listen to me. The examination is not this way. It's this way. And just like David wrote in Psalm 139, I need to let him search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. We go, oh, man, I'm not as bad as Jonah. No, I'd say we're just as bad as Jonah. And I would say that apathy can certainly set in. I read this story. I couldn't believe it. I had to read it three or four times. It's about a Chinese toddler. Um, the story dates back to 2011. And there's this toddler that died who was hit not once by a vehicle, but twice. In fact, video surveillance showed the girl was struck two times. Neither driver stopped. The cameras also show that more than a dozen people ignored the injured child as she lay bloodied and battered on the street of a busy marketplace. I'm reading this, I'm going, boy, it's got a lot of power to this. She was admitted to a local hospital, but did not survive. But the story doesn't go away. The multiple hit and runs, followed by the apathy of multiple people who passed by, led to an international outcry in China. In fact, the incident resulted in the launching of a, quote, stop Apathy campaign. (laughs) I got to reading that and I'm like, wow. You know, I mean, I can't imagine. I can't. Can you imagine that? Right? A toddler or a little girl getting hit and you just kind of just walking by. More than a dozen people walk by. But if you were the person who drove the vehicle, hello? And I got to thinking, I like to think. I got to thinking, man, Lord, how many times have I passed by something in my life that's sin, and I just go, hmm. This one's going to hurt your toes. Because it hurt mine all week long. How many times has the church just simply ignored sin? And said, oh, well, that's not that bad. We don't compare sin this way. We look at that book, the scriptures, and say, what has God said sin is? That's what we need to be concerned about. Would you agree with that? So then I thought, well, we could take a test. Y'all like tests? Good. I don't like tests. But... I thought, this is really great how the Lord puts all this together. You know, we had planned communion months, a few months ago, a couple months ago. And I'm like, there is no coincidence baloney. God had this plan for today. And I'm like, it's, he's so good to remind us of things. Here's some sins, though, that I put it like this, prominent sins in this culture. And defining culture there is not only the culture we live in, but the church culture. And these are just things to consider. These are for your consideration. The sin of sexual immorality. Uh, The culture at large doesn't seem to be too concerned about sexual immorality, does it? Um, The word in the Greek is pornea. It's where we get our word pornography. And it refers to any and all forms of sexual sin. the Lord care about how we act and behave? Does he care about our bodies and how we treat them and what we do with them? And the answer is yes. And do you know sexual sin begins in your mind? What are you putting in your mind? That's the question that I had to ask myself. Dad, what are you putting in your mind? Paul writes, and I need you to turn there. Go back to the New Testament, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to read these verses with you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. You know, Sometimes one may struggle to know what the will of God is, but there are several times in the Bible where the Scripture is clear, this is the will of God. One of those times is here in 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality or sexual sin. Now who's he talking to? Class? The church, believers. Why? Because we all struggle... With the flesh. That's why. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Notice what he says. Not in lustful passion. Like the Gentiles who, what? Do not know God. So listen, this is very important. The Gentiles who do not know God, we don't go, well, I wonder why they just think that's okay. Because they don't know God. They just think it's okay. That's the way you live. I deserve it. Right? That's how the culture lives. But not the church. The church is to live separate from the world. Can't Get out of it. We're in it, but we don't need to be of it. Notice what he says, verse 6. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Yowza. In other words, he's doing the judging. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, look at verse 7. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity... But in sanctification. So he's called us to be different. Consequently, this is heavy here, verse 8. He who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. (laughs) Whoa. Dad, you could have left out verse 8. Well, Paul didn't leave it out. Spirit wanted it there. So we can't, in other words, guys, listen, it doesn't matter. In this context, we can't ignore what God says is sin. We don't have permission for that. So sexual immorality would be one prominent sin in our culture. Idolatry. Ugh. It's interesting that the last verse of 1 John is this verse. <laughs> That's quite a way to end the book, isn't it? Little children, guard yourselves from idols. So we have to understand what an idol is. An idol is anyone or anything we place in front of the Lord. See, at that I don't like that definition. Well, I'm not crazy about it. Because that demand, demands what? Honest examination. In 1992, the Lord dealt with me about an idol, it, it, flat out an idol. I was sitting like you're sitting right now. I was in a church service, and I'm sitting there. I did not hear one word Phil Stamm said. You know why I was worshiping my idol? I said, Dad, what in the world are you talking about? The Dallas Cowboys were in the 1992 NFC Championship game. Do you know they won three championships in five years in New York? You know how wonderful that is, being around all those giant fans? Woo, it was wonderful. But that night, the Lord dealt with me about my idol. That whole sermon, I didn't hear a word Phil said. You know why I couldn't wait to go downstairs and find out who won that game. And all I thought about during that service was that game. I'm confessing to you right now just like I confess to the Lord later. What's wrong with me? Well, there's a lot wrong with me. But that night, the Lord dealt with me about that idol. And do you know before that, I didn't even recognize it was an idol. I was just living life and enjoying watching that. I did have an indicator because... Before I went to New York, I could spend Saturdays all day long just watching football. Morning to night, order barbecue pizza from Pizza Hut, thin crust, man, that stuff is good. And sit there in my apartment and watch football all day long. And over the years, the Lord's had to deal with me and my idols. you know one he's been dealing with me on the last few years and I'd never thought about it until the Lord was dealing with with me one day and um, I recognized that that I was an idol that I was considering myself way too much (laughs) I don't know where you are but I know this that that can happen yeah, you know, Jesus had some interesting verses in the gospels about following him and forsaking family and friends, and people are like, What in the world? What? The Lord has some radical language. Well, we could talk about this all day. Murder. I just listed it as murder. I don't know what you want to call it. I'd call it murder. Abortion's murder. I don't know if abortion is just like one of those terms that just sounds better. I even did some research on it. Like, what, are you trying to make it sound better? Because that's what people do, right? You've got to make it sound better. There are literally hundreds of thousands of babies aborted annually, and I just got the United States statistics. Look at those statistics. That's Life! I don't know how you're going to take this statement, but I've talked to the Lord about it. You know, when I'm considering who I'm supporting in whatever election there is, I've got to consider that. I don't know how you hear that. That part of me really doesn't, I really don't care in one sense because God's the one I'm looking to, He cares. And by the way, I've for years considered this and I only heard recently in talking to somebody, these doctors know that's life. They're not they're not dumb. How'd they get to be a doctor, right? But they're blind. They might not be dumb, but they're blind. And the blinders are on. You know, I've had this question asked to me a bunch. You know, how do, how do we deal with that when all this stuff's going on in our culture? One thing I know we do is we, because the Scripture speaks to it, we pray for those that rule over us. Scripture's clear about that. But I also think we need to consider, hey, you know, I have typing skills. I can type to my senators, to my representatives. I can let them know how I feel about it. And more importantly, not how I feel, but what God says. So I thought, well, this would be a good reminder for us, which I know you know these verses. I love the way David puts this. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. (laughs) I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works... My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, look at this, your eyes saw what? My unformed substance. Well, wouldn't that be nice to plaster somewhere in Washington, D.C.? In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet, there was none of them. We need to pray for our country. Yes. We need to pray for Christian doctors. Well, last one it's probably the hardest one for me to put up here for myself, but oh well, here it goes: Pride. <clears throat> Pride describes an individual who shifts confidence from God to self. <laughs> pride is the sin from which all others arise. You know what pride says? Ultimately, I know better than God. Pride keeps one from honest examination. And by the way, just in case we needed the reminder, the Lord detests pride. How do you know? Proverbs tells us. There are six things which the Lord hates. You know what that Hebrew word hates means? Hate. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him, and here it is. Haughty eyes, that's pride. I have another verse for you. I didn't put it in the notes. Proverbs 16 18. Listen to what this says about pride. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Pride. Pride ultimately says, God, I know better than you. I've got this figured out. So I look at those sins that tend to really... not only have they woven themselves into the fabric of our culture, but I believe that they have made heavy inroads into the church. So what do we do? What's the response for the believer to sin? Because at this point in the story with Jonah... He's not responding. What's our response? Here it is. And as we come to the table this morning, here's the response continual confession. Can I see a show of hands this morning? How many of you would admit that you're a sinner? Yeah. Bible says we are. So whether one admits it or not, it's truth. I like what John writes in First John. If we confess, and that word means agree, if we confess or agree with God, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're agreeing with God. You know, we look at this large thing that Jonah is doing. We're like, Hey, buddy, you got to get it together. But then there's that sin of pride in our lives, and there's that sin of anger in our lives that comes up. There's that sin of jealousy, and there's that sin of strife. There's lots of things to consider. Erwin Lutzer wrote this about forgiveness. He says, forgiveness is always free. Always free. But that doesn't mean that confession is always easy. Sometimes it is hard. It can be incredibly hard. It is painful to admit our sins. You know, growing up in a Catholic culture in southwest Louisiana, my friends went to confession all the time. And do you know what I know about my friends? Because I asked them. While I sat in the car and waited on them to go confess... I asked them, I remember one time we were at a bonfire, I just had to ask them. We were sinning, by the way. And I had to say, I said, hey, look, do you guys tell that priest everything? And to a person, you know what they said? We're not doing that. If confession's difficult to a human, it's difficult to God. It's difficult to be honest, but we need to be. One of the things I always promised my boys growing up, I will spank you for dishonesty every single time. I don't care if you're 18 years old. If you're around me, I'm going to whip you. Confession. Can I say that I don't know that that's so much in the church today? I'm just throwing that out there. I read a story about a congregation in Houston. It's an intriguing story. Um, They were having a Sunday night service. And you know how Sunday night services go. You have just a few. So there was 50 to 60 people in the service. And the pastor was preaching on the importance of confession of sin to God. And this is a Bible teaching church. And at the end of the sermon, as he's closed in prayer, or as he's closing in prayer, one of the one girl, 16, 17-year-old girl, walks up to the altar and begins to pray. And she's confessing her sin. And she's telling the pastor about it. That was at six thirty, seven 7 o'clock. At 9 o'clock, people were still coming forward and confessing their sin. Jonah was a little too comfortable in his sin. Would you agree? Guys, maybe we get that way too. and Maybe we need to simply confess. And I've had a week to deal with this. You only have had a few minutes. We know... That sin easily entangles us. We need to know that our Lord forgives us. And we need to be willing to be honest. And say, Lord, I'm sorry. I confess to you. I lusted this last week. I was greedy yesterday. I had strife with someone. Malice was in my heart. You know, the only one that can make inroads into the culture and inroads into your life and my life is the Holy Spirit of God. So I'm going to pray right now that the Spirit of God would move us to confess confess our sins to him and he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins can I just give you a little phrase and then I'll be done and we'll have the Lord's Supper I think something that happens because in 30 years I've counseled a lot of people and I know my own life I look at a situation I assess it and I just come up with that's not really that bad. And I move on. But I don't need to measure it this way. I need to look this way. It's impossible to take the Lord's Supper and be in a relationship where there's anger and bitterness. We have to come to the table right. Would you agree with that's what the Bible says in First Corinthians? And the ones that weren't examining themselves properly, you know what happened to them? They were sick and they were weak and they were dead. Hey guys, I know this morning's kind of a heavy thing. There's a lot to consider. But I gotta tell you, this doesn't come from me, it comes from the Lord. All that scripture, it's his. And so as we come to the table this morning, Let's be honest with the Lord. Let's allow Him, His Spirit, to search us and to show us the wickedness that easily entangles us. Lord, Lord, um, I would confess to you that It doesn't take me very long to get into sin. A lot of times it's in my mind. I have thoughts I shouldn't have. I've had thoughts about people that I shouldn't have. I was thinking about something, Lord, that you require of us that I don't do a lot and I need to do more and I just have to call it just disobedience. But Lord, I need to pray for my leaders more. You, you don't ask us to, you command us to. Lord, I just want to pray that every one of us in this room this morning can be honest with you. And Lord, I really believe that You desire us to have that examination so we see more of who you are. It's not about us. It's about your forgiveness and your loving kindness and your mercy and all those things. We just say thank you. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve freedom from the penalty of sin. But Lord, you took that for us. if there's one in here this morning that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that your Spirit would convict them of their sin, their need for Jesus Christ. For those of us in this room this morning that know you as we come to the table, this is not just a ritual. It's not something we just do, just to do it. It's not just an activity in our day, but... Lord, we are told by you to remember. We remember what you did for us on the cross at Calvary. And so I pray this morning as we partake together that you would help us to be thankful, thankful people and celebrate as believers that you took it for us. You took that penalty. You took the sin and the weight of all that sin on yourself so that we could have eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Impossible to understand, I think, the weight of all that before we see you. But, Lord, one day we're going to see you as believers face to face in all your glory. But we're going to see the nail prints. We're going to be reminded of the cost. Lord, I'm just asking you to help me. And I'm asking you to help my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. Help us to be honest. And confess those things that are sin. To you. Believing without a shadow of a doubt that you forgive. In Jesus' name, amen.